so good. Uh, yeah. Once again, they did not ask Scott and I to sing that with them this year. And uh, yeah, I can do that. How hard is that, you know? Anyway, hey, you know, I've always, I've always really loved that song, Mary, Did You Know? Because it's easier, at least it's easier, to look back 2,000 years ago and see or read or hear about how the whole Jesus thing turns out. And it turns out pretty, pretty well, you know, from this perspective. But, but in that moment, 2,000 years ago, when all those events that they were just singing about, when those events were actually happening, did Mary really know what was going on? Did anybody really understand, you know, fully comprehend the significance of what was happening in that barn when Jesus was born? And I have to be honest with you, I don't think they knew. I, I, I think that, they, that we give Bible people way too much credit. I think they're just normal people like us, right? I think they're, they're just as human and real and unaware way back then as we are even right now. And that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing or, or that we or they didn't have faith. It means that sometimes, sometimes that when God does something like out of the ordinary, like we've never seen him do that before and we don't really have a category for it, so we try our best to understand what God's doing in the world or doing in our lives and, and we get as close as we can, but I think we fall really, really short of what God has done in our life or what he wants to do in our lives or what he's willing to do in our lives back then and even right now. And let's just look at this Christmas story because, I mean, when you really think about it, this is really hard, hard to understand or, or believe. For example, let's start with Mary. So when the angel comes to Mary, she, the, the angel tells her, you're going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God, and you will call his name Jesus. And the Bible says that Mary was, and I quote, greatly troubled. You think? <laughs> really, really, yeah, greatly troubled, right? And we sit in rooms like this and we go, oh, it's the virgin birth. Right, I read about it. I heard about that, all right? But, but Mary never heard about that. She never heard of a virgin birth. All she knew was, you know, she's probably 12 or 13 years old, you know, when this whole thing started and the angel came to her. And, and I, I bet her mom sat her down and had the conversation that all of our moms or dads had with us. You know, here's how it happens, Mary. Two people fall in love and they get married and then they share a very special hug and then there's a baby, all right? So, so, right? I just set you up for a great conversation with your kids, all right? Should have put them in kids ministry. But anyway, so, all right, so, so Mary, Mary's going, listen, she's doing the mask. But I, I haven't done that. I'm still, I'm still a virgin, so how is this going to work? She actually says, how can this be? And the angel explains to her, starts with this, well, don't be afraid. This is what God's going to do. And again, we can look back and go, well, we understand it, you know? We've heard about it. It's that whole Holy Spirit of God came upon her and made that all possible. But Mary heard the plan, and her response was, what? What are you, what, what are you talking about? And even though eventually she gets on board and says, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be, all right, right? You have to believe she was thinking, what's going on? I never heard of anything like this in my life or anybody else's life. Last week uh, over in our kids' ministry, uh, they, were, they were working their way through, through, the, through the Christmas story like we've been doing in here. And, and in our third grade class, this little boy was listening to this whole Christmas story. And he was trying to figure this out because apparently his mom or dad had already had the, some of the talk with him. So in the middle of it, he raises his hand. I got a question. It's like, yeah, it's just so. How, third grader, how did Mary have a baby and she wasn't married? Then, then this is what he said. God and Mary in a relationship? <laughs> and the teacher was like, uh, 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 any other questions, right? I mean, it's weird. I mean, it's a weird story, right? Because we don't know much, but we know something about how things work, at least when we're talking about what, where babies come from. And then when God steps outside of that normal things and says, I'm going to do something, I'm offering you to do something in your life or Mary's life or whatever, and it's not normal. It's not ordinary. Our first response when God wants to do that in our lives is, how can that be? How can you do that? I've never heard of that. I don't understand. And then we get really, really quickly over to, so I don't think it'll work. 
You have to think Mary had to wrestle through that, right? And same with Joseph, all right? When he found out that his fiance is pregnant and he knows that is not my baby, his first response is the same response of any man in this room, right? right? We, in the Middle East back then and even today, all right? The, the normal thing is I'm going to dump her. Are you cheating on me or whatever? Back then, he had, the option was he could, he could send her back to her parents as, as damaged goods. Or even in the Middle East today, this, this is still on the books as a law. He could take her to court and have her executed for sexual immorality. Those are the options available to Joseph. That would be the normal thing. Instead, an angel explains to Joseph, well, there he is. Don't be afraid. This is what God's going to do in Mary's life, in your life, in this baby, all right? And Joseph took a step of faith. And he didn't do what a man normally would have done. And you've got to think, that would be hard to understand, wouldn't it, man? I mean, even an angel appeared at your house, but let me tell you what's going on. It's like, is this real? And how, how can I trust her? And how do I know this isn't, you know? But he took a step of faith because he's never seen anything like that before. And just keep going with this story. After Jesus was born in that barn in Bethlehem, you know, the story goes, some shepherds show up and tell Mary, all right, so we were out in the field, all right, keeping watch over our flocks, and then there's this one angel, he appears, and that was bad enough, but then a whole bunch of angels appeared, and we were, and I'll quote the Bible, we were terrified, I bet. I bet, you know, I, I've read that story all my life, and I, I remember hearing that story going, that'd be so cool to be a shepherd boy. Wouldn't it be awesome to be in that field right there and then, boom, there's all these angels, you know, and, and the angel says, you'll find the baby, the Son of God, laying in a food trough over there in Bethlehem. Cows were eaten out of it earlier, but now the Son of God's there, right? That would be so awesome to be a part of that. Looking back, I think it would be awesome. In the moment, I don't think awesome would be the word that came to mind. It, I just wouldn't. It would be kind of freaky, right? I remember about nine years, almost exactly nine years ago, I Flatters flew me out here from Kentucky. I was a pastor back in Kentucky. They flew me out here to kind of audition to do this, all right? And it was during the Christmas series. And most of you weren't here at that time, but, but a few of you were. And, and the name of that series is called Outrageous Love. And I remember my talk was the response of the shepherds to those angels. And I think I popped a lot of Christmas bubbles, all right? Ruined a lot of people's nativity scenes forever, all right? Because I talked about shepherds. See, like most of us, I, I grew up you know, being taught about or singing songs about or seeing pictures of shepherds in the Bible or whatever, and, and they always looked like these wise old men with staffs, right, beards and stuff like that. They all look, every shepherd I've ever seen in a picture always looked like, kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi or, or Gandalf, all right? So, so when I think shepherd, <laughs> right, right, and they're, and they're out in the field with sheep and other shepherds saying wise, you know, Jedi Knight things, stuff like that, right? That's what I think of as shepherds, but... But I've traveled all over the world over the last several, like 30 years or so, and I, I, I've seen, I've met hundreds of shepherds, and not one of them looked like Obi-Wan or Gandalf. Not one. Most of the shepherds that I've met are, are, are boys ages 6 to 13, elementary age kids, middle age at best. And 2,000 years ago in, in Israel, most of the shepherds boy back, boys back then were orphans who had been hired out or sold by their parents to pay off debt. Their, their, their dads were either in Roman prisons or had been executed by the, uh, crucified by the, the, the Roman army. So whenever you hear shepherd in the Bible, don't jump to wise old Gandalf. Think orphan scared little boys. And I remember nine years ago, all right, here's the assignment at the end of the message. I said this, I want everybody to go home, get some paint, and paint all the shepherd, the beards off your shepherds in your nativity scenes. Because in reality, I've never met a shepherd who could grow a beard. Right? They're all little, hey, sheep. They're little guys, all right? So... <laughs> And people went home and some did it. All right, but so it makes sense when you got to think about little kids, right? When angels show up, of course, the first thing to come out of the angel's mouth is don't be afraid, right? Because there were a bunch of homeless little boys who just peed their pants in a field because of all the things they thought were going to happen today. Some angels showing up saying, God's going to rescue you and the Savior of the world is over there in a barn. That wasn't on their things to do list. Not one person got out of bed that day thinking, I wonder if that's going to happen today, but it did. 
They never seen anything like it. It wasn't normal. And then they go and they find Joseph and Mary and Jesus in that barn. And after they left, the Bible says that Mary, look at this, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasure means she, she, she held them. I don't want to forget this moment, right? And pondering them means she tried to make sense out of it. She tried to connect the dots. All right, nine months ago, an angel appears, and then the shepherds show up, and the angels, and it's just, what does all this mean? Because she'd never seen anything like it before. It was hard. A few days later, Joseph and Mary, they take Jesus to the temple, which was a Jewish law, and they had to pay a, a, a temple purity tax. Ladies, after you had a baby, you were considered unclean. Before you go back to church or synagogue or whatever, you had to go pay a price to be pure again. So they couldn't afford a lamb because they were too poor, so they bought two pigeons. And that's what they sacrificed so that Mary could be clean again, all right? And then while they're in that temple, an old, an old man named Simeon who'd gone there every day for years praying, he believed that God wouldn't let him die until he saw God keep his promise and send his son. When he saw Jesus get carried into the temple, he walked over, he picked up baby Jesus, and he blessed him. Thank God that, God, you, you kept your promise. I knew you would. And Luke 2 says that Joseph and Mary marveled at the kind words that Simeon had just blessed their little baby with. And it would have been great if the, if, the, if, the, if the story would have stopped there. But Simeon has some more things to say. He looks at Mary, and, and I'm going to use, give you the definitions of the words that Simeon used as he blesses Mary and this little baby. And then I'll put it all together for you. But look at this, all right? Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, or now keep your eyes open, all right? Look at this. This child, says baby Jesus, this child is appointed. And that translate is going to be laid down. What for? For the fall. It translates the same word as a building collapsing. For the fall and the rising, resurrection, rebuilding, getting back on one's feet of many, not just a few, but many in Israel. And this child will be for a sign. And in the Bible, when you ever, see, you ever hear or read, this will be a sign to you. It's a, uh, it's, it's a picture of this is what God is like, and this is what he's, he's going to do in your life. He's going to be a sign that is opposed. He's going to be fought against. He's going to be rejected. And that's bad enough. But then he looks right at Mary and he says this to her. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that, so that thoughts from many hearts, what's really going on inside of people, may be revealed. And let me put all that together for you, right? Joseph and Mary bring their new baby, Jesus, into a temple to present him before God so he can be blessed. And this is what they're told as a blessing. Keep your eyes open. Your child is going to be laid down and die on an altar like a sacrificial lamb, like they kill in this building all the time, because people's lives have collapsed like a building, and this, this child is going to bring them new life, and he's going to show them what God is like. But in doing that, he's going to be rejected and opposed, and he's going to be attacked. And Mary, this is all going to go down right in front of you. You're going to watch all this happen, and it's going to feel like a sword going through your soul when you see the hearts of people revealed as they watch what people are going to do to your son. Merry Christmas. That's the blessing, right? I made up that last part, but go with it, all right? And guess what? This time the Bible doesn't say that Joseph and Mary marveled. Earlier, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. They didn't marvel at, at this at all. They pondered it, I bet. As a matter of fact, they, they, they just pick up Jesus and, and they leave. And the next time that we hear from Joseph and Mary and Jesus is like 12 years later. It's, they're, they're back in Jerusalem and they can't find Jesus. And they kind of freak out and they go looking for him. And they finally find him in the same temple where sheep are slaughtered on altars for sacrifice. And they grab him and they take him home. Now, why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you all that stuff about the birth and the first few days of Jesus' life way back then? And the answer is this, because it's the same today. Meaning this, whenever God does something in the world or in our lives, all right, even if he tells us, this is, what I, this is what I want to do in your life, and this is what it will, and this is what it won't look like, most of the time, it doesn't look or feel like what we think it's going to look and feel like, so we miss it. I do it. I, I, miss, I miss God all the time. 
Right? Over the, over the last month in here, we've, we've been trying to unpack what sounds like a really simple phrase to understand, rolls off our tongue pretty easily. And a lot of us in this room, if I had you raise your hand, right, you would claim to believe that it's true. And the phrase is simply this, God loves me. God loves me. We said that we've gone through this every week so far. God loves me. Let's just all say it together. One, two, three. God loves me. And again, we sit in here and go, we nod our heads and we just sang songs about God loves me and we pray prayers. Thank you, God, for loving me. And we hand out advice to people. You know God loves you. And God loves me and God loves everybody. But in, but, but in reality, I don't think we believe it. When we start hearing about the, or thinking about the, 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 the level that, of love that God has for us, the kind of love, the links that God says that he is willing and has gone to, to provide us with what he knows we need and, and to protect us from anything that would try to mess up our lives or separate us from him. Again, we sit in rooms like this or sing songs or pray prayers and we smile and go, yeah, I believe that. But the truth is, I don't think we do. As a matter of fact, when we hear stuff like God loves you, our first response most typically is, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What if she does that? What if, you know, he did, he did that. What, what does that say or what happens to God lo- God's love if people do stuff like that? If I do things right, do I get more of God's love? If I screw up, you know, this week, does God take it away? How much does God love me? What do I need to do to make sure that God keeps on loving me? Or here's what a lot of us are wrestling through. This is why we even came to church this weekend. It goes like this. I'm pretty sure God's already given up on me. I, I, I wouldn't blame him if he hated me, all right? So here's my question, if it's possible. What would I need to do or change in my life to get God to start loving me again? That's a question a lot of us have. And again, I mean, most of I'm just talking to, to, to longtime Christians here before you get all condescending and start spouting off these religious-sounding cliches and bumper sticker theology, all right? Most of us, even as Christians, been Christians for a long time, we get out of bed every day thinking that what we do right or what we do wrong today will determine whether or not God wants us anymore. If he loves us or not, based on what we did, right or wrong today. It was a good day, God loves me. I really screwed up my marriage. I bet God hates me, all right? See, there's a lot of truth behind this Christmas song we've sung all of our lives. It goes like this. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. I don't care about Santa. God's coming to town. And he's got a list. Right? He's checked it several times. And I promise, if you screw up today, you will not be on the nice list, Right? We sit there and go, I never thought about it, but that's exactly how we think about God. And for a lot of us in this room know that, you know, this is that if there really is some type of list, nice or naughty, we're on the bad one. We're definitely on the bad one. And the idea of God loving someone like that, like us, based on what we've done already in our past, what we're doing wrong right now that nobody in our family even knows about yet, but we do. Thinking God loves us, that's about as absurd, absurd as, I don't know, a 13-year-old Jewish girl getting pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's a stretch to believe. Right? Or some angelic messenger showing up to some third world orphans and saying a baby born in a barn is the savior of the world. That's, that's a stretch. Right? That's hard to believe. That's, that's not normal. And, but as weird as and outrageous as that all sounds, the idea that God loves someone like us, you and me, all right, and he's willing to do whatever we need to make sure that we have what we need to be with him and nothing separates us from him, to make sure that we have a second chance at life and the light, latest mistake does not condemn our whole future, to make it possible for me to not walk around with guilt and shame all of my life. Believing that's true, that's even harder to believe. That's more not normal. That's outrageous, right? So we, we, we've been unpacking primarily one sentence that came out of Jesus' mouth early on in his life to answer that big, why would God do that for me? question. So the story we've been looking at is, is in the Bible, right? And there's free Bibles in the back here in, the, in this campus and up at West. There's free Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, Merry Christmas, take one on your way home and keep that, all right? But we've been looking in the book of John. It's written by a guy named John, but it's the story of this man named Nicodemus who sends a message to Jesus, will you meet me late at night in this alley so my friends don't see me talking to you? 
It would ruin my reputation if they found out I was actually talking to Jesus. So Jesus meets this guy in an alley in Jerusalem late at night. And in the conversation, he asks Jesus a series of questions that go kind of like this. Is it possible or why is it possible? And what would I need to do or change in my life to be forgiven for all my sins and mistakes, to get a second chance at life? He actually says to Jesus, I want, I want a new life. Like, like if I could get like born all over again, how is that possible? Can, can, I, can I get that? What do I need to do? And Jesus answered with this really, really famous sentence. It goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave. You're asking, Nick Zines, what do you have to give? How about this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, our goal this whole month has been this. And even if you haven't been here this month, it's, it's not too late for you, all right? I mean, this is we're trying to memorize, as a church, memorize these famous words of Jesus as to why God sent Jesus to Bethlehem in the first place. So we're going to try to memorize it, okay? So let's all say it out loud together. You can do this. Ready? One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his good, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? We're going to do that. We're going to close our eyes, balcony, balcony and, and, and lobby. God sees. Don't cheat. All right? So... All right? So close your eyes. We're going to say it out loud together. Here we go. One, two, three. For God so loved... <laughs> it fell apart. It fell apart. Yeah, watermelon, watermelon, Jesus. There you go. All right, so, all right, so. That's okay. Work on it, right? Our, our goal this month is to memorize that, but not just memorize the words, but what does that mean? What, was, what does that mean if all that, what Jesus said is true? The reason for this story, let alone forgiveness and having a second chance at eternal life is even possible, is found in that first phrase of that sentence. It goes like this, for or because God so loved the world, and that's you. For God lo- so loved you, and didn't just love you, says so loved you, it's like so much. It's a different kind of love, a love that the closest thing that we can even get close to comparing it to would be a parent's love for a newborn baby. Remember we talked about this. A baby hasn't done anything to earn love or deserve love. And that baby doesn't even know how to return love. What's that? What are they going to do? Right? All they can do is just lay there and take it. Receive it. Right? And grow up in it. And most parents in this room, grandparents, you're shaking your heads at me going, yeah, I can identify with that kind of love. I get it. I have that kind of love for, for my child. Of course. Yeah. It kind of all grinds to a halt, though, when you think about God loving you that way. And you're like, that'd be nice. But that's not, that's not going to happen. Then last week, we looked at the next phrase where we see what that so kind of love did. God so loved you that he gave his only son. And again, this is where it screeches to a halt for me, right? Because gave his only son literally translates God spent the life. I mean, just like you spend money, God spent the life of his only son in order to buy us, you and me, out of the condemnation of our sins and to purchase, to buy us a new life. And again, while most of us wouldn't even miss a beat or hesitate, we would say, I would spend my life to give my children life. I would spend my life to protect my children or my grandchildren. I know that's true. I would do that. I also know that I wouldn't spend my child's life for anybody in this room. I wouldn't. I wouldn't spend my, life, my child's life to protect anybody else. I wouldn't. But that's what Jesus said that he came to do. That's why he's here. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to lay down his life, spend his life, to quote that old man, Simeon, back in the temple, so that when your life falls down like a collapsed building... You have a shot at being resurrected and rebuilt. Now, that's what we've covered the last couple weeks in here. And as hard as all that seems to, 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 to believe is actually true and is possible, there's one more word in this sentence which pretty much puts it over the top when it comes to that's too good to be true, as in that's too crazy to actually be possible for someone like me. 
And that's the word that Jesus uses as to who all this eternal life and forgiveness and second chances and no, no condemnation, all right, no fear, who that's actually available to. And here it is. And when I say it, here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start arguing in your own heads with, with me or with God, with yourself or whatever. And your argument's going to go something like this. Well, there's got to be some catch to that. There has to be some string attached to that whole God loves me thing, all right? And don't I have to do this? And don't, doesn't she have to do that? So get your arguments ready because here's who all this love and forgiveness and second chances and shall not perish, here's who it's available to. This is what Jesus said, that whoever believes, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, you won't perish. No condemnation. You're connected to God. Now, you got to let that sink in a second, all right? A man named Nicodemus sneaks out at night. So he doesn't even have a lot of faith, right? He just wants to have a conversation, right? He sneaks out at night and he asks Jesus, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus whispers back to him, nothing. I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. I'll buy you a new life, all right? Just trust me, okay? Do you trust me? And see, all through the Bible, or you sit in church more than a couple weeks, you're going to hear words like this, believe, trust, and faith. And it's all the same word. It's all the same word. And when it comes to believe or trust or faith in Jesus, it translates this way. I have confidence that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he promises to do. I'm going to lean my life against that. I'm going to get out of bed every day believing Jesus is who he says he is. And he said he'd take care of me. And I promise, I believe that he's going to keep his promise to actually take care of me. So in context, put that into that conversation. Nicodemus asked this, Jesus, how can I have my sins forgiven? How can I get God back in my life? How can I get a second chance at eternal life? And Jesus responds, trust me. Trust me, believe me. Believe me when I say that I am God's son and that I can pay for your sins and I'll buy you eternal life. That's it. So do you trust me? And by the way, we, know, we never find out what Nicodemus says. But what about you? If you were to ask Jesus that question right now, Jesus, is it possible? And if it is possible, how can I have the sins and mistakes that I've made in my life, against my marriage or my other marriage, against my family, against my parents, against my kids, against my boyfriend, girlfriend, against my own body, but ultimately all that's against God. How can that be forgiven? Can it be forgiven? And what do I need to do? And Jesus would say to you right now, you got to trust me. Just, just trust me. Believe me when I say that I am God's son and I already paid for your sins and bought your forgiveness and eternal life. So just take it. Just receive it. Do that. Do you believe, do you trust that I can do that for you? And if you answer that, yes, I do, get this, you're forgiven and you're saved and nothing has the power to separate you from God ever again. And here come all the arguments, right? We're so good at arguing, arguing with God. Yeah, that sounds great, Jesus. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but don't I have to, and here comes the list, don't I have to stop this? Don't I, here's, here's a list of things I've heard lately. Don't I need to stop cheating on my marriage? Don't I need to break off the affair I'm having that she doesn't even know I'm having? Don't I need to stop sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or both of them, all right? I just met someone on Craigslist. Is it okay to, no, all right, listen. Jesus would say, okay, you can do whatever you want, but listen, given the way that God wired you up, the way that God created intimacy in your life, let me, let me, let me just tell you this. If you keep on doing those things, it's going to continue to destroy your life. It's going to destroy this marriage like it did the last one. It's going to destroy this relationship. It's going to destroy your family like, it, like it's doing right now. It's going to continue to destroy everything around you. So how about this? How about this? I'll, I'll come in here like, I will show you what you need to do, and I will give you the grace and strength to do it, but it's going to blow some of you up, all right? No. No, you don't have to change anything. You agreeing to not do any of those things anymore. You making God a promise today that I promise to cut back on the sin, that is not one of the conditions for receiving forgiveness of sins and receiving eternal life. What's the condition? Faith. Do you trust Jesus? 
right? And he, I'm going to tell you who's the maddest people in this room are right now, long-time Christians. You're letting them off the hook too easy, right? Because here come the arguments for yourself or for other people that you know. It goes like this, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I'm or he or she, right? I'm addicted to, to alcohol, I'm, drugs, porn, food, exercise, dieting. I spend money I don't have. I buy stuff I don't need. I live for other people's approval. I have a bad temper. I use horrible language. I, I, I say hateful things. I'm a bully. I'm a liar. I'm a witch. There's something else written there, all right? I'm... <laughs> I'm a cheater, I'm a, I'm a thief, I'm a horrible, bad person. I've done horrible, bad, shameful things to myself, with other people, and to other people. Don't I at least need to try to be a good person? Don't I need to try to change some things in my life and clean up my life in order for God to start loving me and forgive me? Answer, no. No. All you need to do is believe that Jesus is the only Son of God and that he can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Then, after you have Jesus in your life, and after you can get out of bed every morning not worrying about perishing anymore or condemnation, you don't have to worry anymore about how did I do today? Does God still love me? Am I still safe? Once you don't have to worry about that anymore, after that, if Jesus wants to tell you that something needs to change in your life, he'll let you know. He'll let you know. But let's be honest. Until Jesus is in your life, nothing that needs to change, at least in the big important parts that need to change forever, really have much hope of changing anyway. If you could have, you would have already changed your life. If you could do it without Jesus, you would have already fixed everything. So how about this? First things first. Do you believe that? And it sounds crazy. It's not even normal, all right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he can and will take away your sins so that you won't perish but have eternal life? Because until then, it's kind of useless to talk about what needs to change. What about this? What about that? What about that? Right? See, we, we started this series earlier this month by saying this. You and I messing up our lives and messing up our marriage and messing up our family, messing up our sex life, whatever, telling God to butt out of our lives and mind our own business and don't, don't, I'm going to do my own thing. Leave me alone, God. None of that caught God by, by surprise. There's not been one moment of your existence where God has looked down at you and went, oh, wow, I did not see that coming, all right? I, know, I mean, she was a little screwed up, but I didn't think she'd go over the edge. I mean, right, right? No, we've never blown God's mind. We never have, right? He knew. He knew what we would do before we were even born. And then he chose for you to be born anyway, knowing what it would cost him, spending the life of his own son to buy us out of our mess, to buy us out of our sin and back into his family. God was working a plan on your behalf long before you showed up and were born and had life, let alone before you screwed it up. He was ready for you. He was ready for you. Now, that's all good. That sounds great. But as I was putting this talk together this week, right, thinking of the events surrounding this whole Jesus story, right, who God decided to use, Joseph and Mary, right, how he decided to do it, who he chose to announce it to first, like these homeless little shepherds, I thought to myself, you know, there's going to be a lot of people here this weekend, and, and people are going to sit out here in this room, the lobby up at West, whatever, and they're, they're going to sit out there and go, you know, that's a good story. And I'm sure that works for a lot of people, most people in here, but probably not me. I bet all that God's love and forgiveness stuff, that's good and it works for a lot of people. I bet it doesn't apply to a person like me. Based on who I am, based on what's happened in my past, based on where I know I've come from and what I've done, I bet that didn't work for me. And I get it. I get it. That's a good argument. But I think about it, all right? Let's just look at this next week. It's Christmas week, all right? This Christmas, look ahead over the next four, four or five days. Some of us, just a few of us, we're, we're going to get together with our families, all right? And it's going to be awesome. A few of us, all right? I mean, let's be honest, right? There are some of us, all right? And at the end of, of Christmas Day, everybody's going to get in the car, you're going to close the door, and you're going to look at whoever's left in the room, you're going to look at each other going, that, that couldn't have been any better. That was like a Hallmark card. That was like a Norman Rockwell painting come to life. Some of you, a couple of y'all, awesome, all right? If that's your family, I don't want to hear about it. Okay, Seth, so, 
most of us, you know where I'm going, right? Most of this is going to be a little different. I'm not a prophet, but let's just look ahead to, to Thursday, all right? So, sometime during that day, you're going to look around your house or her house or their house, the dining room, whatever, the yard, whatever you are, right? And, and you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to say this out loud. Please don't say this out loud. But here's what you're going to think to yourself. You're going to look around the room and go, this is the most jacked up collection of dysfunctional weirdos and freaks of all time. And I call it my family. Right? Pass the eggnog. A lot of nog. Please, I need a lot of nog Thursday. Right? Right? I don't know what that is. All right? You're just going to look and go, this is just nuts. This is crazy, all right? All right? And I started thinking about, you know, some people that God used before Jesus got here in his family and, and the people that Jesus hung out with when he did finally get here. See, this makes you feel a little bit better about your life, all right? So, so Matthew chapter 1, you find the genealogy of Jesus. There's a list of so-and-so begat, so-and-so had a baby, had a baby, all right? And it's not really exciting until you find out who the people are on that list. And there's just dozens of people. There's only four women mentioned on the whole list. And ladies, it's not a great representation, let me just tell you about, about a few of the women on that list, all right? One woman, her husband died, so she put on a disguise, slept with her drunk father-in-law so she could have his baby. That's, that's who came to Jesus' family reunion, all right? So she's in there, all right? So another one of Jesus' grandmas, all right? One of the great, 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 one little She was a professional prostitute. I'm not saying she was a loose woman, made some mistakes in her life. Eh, nope, she was a paid hooker. That, that was one of his great, great, great grandmas, all right? Another one of his grandmas had an affair with a king. He, well, he was, a, he was a king who, who peeked in her window while she was taking a bath, liked what he saw. He's the king. He sent soldiers to her house, brought her, him, her over to his bedroom and raped her because you can't say no to the king. Then she got pregnant. Then, she, then the king had her husband killed to cover up the pregnancy. They got married. The baby died. But then they had another baby who became one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandpas. Feeling better about Thanksgiving. Like, well, at least we didn't kill anybody. Well, we did, actually. You just don't know about it. Right? So it goes on, right? Right? Skip ahead to the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born in a barn to a teenage mom, raised by a man who wasn't his biological father. And you know everybody in town was whispering behind their backs. Because we've, we've, we've done stuff in our life, and you know they're talking about us in the other cubicle, down the hall, right? People whisper about us all the time. You know as they walk through town, there's Joseph, claims God got his girlfriend pregnant, says she's a virgin. Wow. Let's use that one sometimes, all right? Right? <laughs> It's just ridiculous. And, and, and Jesus worked construction the first 30 years of your life. Some of you work construction. It's a rough crowd, all right? You know that as, as Jesus or Joseph walked around that construction, people just made fun of him. Hey, hey, Jesus, son of God, make some lunch. Right, here's a brick. Right, right, there you go. Turn, I got more. <laughs> and then make, turn this water into PBR, tall boy. Ah, yeah, so anyway, so. Because he's the son of God. It's, it's, it's just like they, they just made fun of him. You know that. And then Joseph died somewhere when Jesus was a kid. You know who took over, who was the mentor in Jesus' life after, his, after his, Joseph died? It's, it's probably his older cousin, John. You know him as John the Baptist. Everybody in town thought he was nuts. All right, right. So again, don't think too high of, of Bible people. Everybody thought he was nuts. Why? He ate bugs. That's all I eat. I just eat, I just eat grasshoppers. That's all I eat. He wore camel skins, and he stood down in a river and yelled at people as they walked by, you're a bunch of snakes, but God loves you, so get in this river and get baptized or burn in hell. Come on down, all right? I bet he was fun to have at Christmas dinner. Right, get some eggnog in him. It's like, who brought the locust? Crazy cousin John, right? <laughs> ah, there's an RV, Clark. Right, so, right, every, everybody has a crazy cousin John, right, right? And by the way, that's who baptized Jesus. Right, right? And it doesn't get any better. The very first followers of Jesus were a bunch of high school dropouts who didn't get into college. You know, they walked around town. There, was, there were people that looked at them and go, there's some potential. They'll change the world. No, I mean, let's be honest. If you saw these guys just walking around, like up in Boulder, 
You go, up, you go up to bowl after, you go to Pearl Street. You see 12 long-haired, sandal-wearing, high school or college-age guys sitting on the lawn up on Pearl Street, no visible source of income, listening to a guy with a beard. Your first thought would not be, I wonder if that's a Bible study being led by the Son of God. That's not what you think. I don't know what you think, but I bet it involved a bong. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right? Right? And some Doritos. Right. They're all there, right? So, Right, no, you, nobody looked at these guys and went, there's the world changers. No, they thought there's a bunch of losers, right? Why does Jesus hang out with them? Jesus' first miracle was for a poor young couple who ran out of wine at their wedding reception and they didn't have any money to go get any, any, any more alcohol for the party. Jesus' first miracle was he saved a party. Last night, somebody went, hey, man, they'd already been to a Christmas party before church. It was awesome, all right? So one of the first recorded conversations that Jesus has in the Bible is with a mixed-race woman who'd been married and divorced at least five times, is sleeping with a guy she's not married to, probably for rent. And him talking to her drew a lot of criticism from everyone, his friends, everyone, all right? Because you're not supposed to do that. The first person that Jesus heals is the son of a military officer, which sounds noble, except you find out the military officer is an officer in the army of the enemy who works for the king, who eventually has Jesus nailed to a cross. Yeah, I'll heal your son. The number one question asked of Jesus and the number one criticism of Jesus by other people was, why does Jesus hang out with, eat dinner with, go to parties with, want to be friends with sinners and outcasts and thieves and hookers? And Jesus always replied, they're why I, they're, they're why I came. Have you met my family? Right? Because everybody's got family. Skip, skip, skip ahead. All the way to his last act as he was dying, Jesus was crucified on a cross between two criminals, one of which cussed him out the entire time that he was alive. And then at the feet of Jesus, as Jesus hanging on a cross, there are soldiers rolling dice for who gets Jesus' stuff when he's dead. And Jesus, in the middle of this, Jesus looks up at his father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to me. You got to think about this. This is just hard. This is hard to understand. It's not normal. Jesus is defending the people who just hammered nails through his hands and through his feet. And he knows in a couple minutes they're going to jab a spear through my ribcage and into my heart in front of my mom who's standing right there to make sure I'm completely dead. And for Mary, his mother, I'll bet that moment was like, a, I don't know, a sword through her soul. Does that sound familiar? And I wonder if she remembered what Simeon said those years ago in that temple when she saw her child hanging up there on a cross like a slaughtered animal. She connected the dots then, I bet. Jesus prays in the middle of all that, Father, please don't hold what they're doing to me against them. He actually says, blame me for what they're doing. Lay me down as a sacrificial lamb. Put their sins on me. Let what I'm doing now pay for what they're doing now and any other mistakes they make in the future. Question, who does that? That's not normal. And the answer is just Jesus. Who loves me like that? No, no one except Jesus. Nobody loves you like that. Which brings me to this. So what about you? What are you going to do with this? What do you do with what Jesus said? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, has faith, trust him, should not perish but have eternal life. What do you do with that? Well, let me just change the pronouns just a little bit, all right? For God so loved you that he gave Jesus his only son that if you will just believe, just trust Jesus, you won't perish but you'll have eternal life. Whoever, whoever believes. So my question would be this. Do, do you want to be one of the whoever's? If you're not already, do you want to be? Or maybe just today is a time out to go, thanks, I'm one of the whoever's. I forgot because I had a really bad day. 
Do you want to be connected to God? Because let's be honest, you look back over your life and you feel like God is a million miles away. He's not, but it feels that way because you wouldn't blame him for running the other direction. Do you want to know for sure that you are connected to God? Do you need your sins to be forgiven? Do you need to walk around every day without feeling the guilt and the load of all the shame and regret of your life? There's going to be consequences in this life, but the biggest consequence is the shame that just crushes you every day. Do you want that to be taken away? Do you want eternal life? Do you want a second chance? at life. And if the answer to that is yes, well, here's good news. It goes like this. Because God so loved you, he, he paid for it. He spent the life of his only son to provide that for you. So we're not in an alley in the middle of the night in Jerusalem, but we're in this room right now. So the question is, what do I need to do to be saved based on everything I've done wrong in my life? Right? What do I need to do to be saved? Here's the answer. Nothing. Nothing. Just believe. Just trust Jesus. Just have faith that Jesus is the Son of God and He can do and will do and wants to do in your life what He promised to do. And again, we're, we're still arguing, aren't we? Because we're just like Mary and Joseph and you have a hard time understanding that God is stepping outside of normal. So if you're sitting there going, that's just, people don't do that. You're right. Nobody else does that. Just Jesus. And He's offering you something that is not normal, but it is amazing. It's a good song, isn't it? Amazing grace. And it's awesome. And it's what you really, really need more than anything else. Don't I have to be a stronger man or a better woman? Don't I have to act more godly? Don't I have to be good in order for God to do any of that in my life? No. No. The reality is you can't be stronger or you always would be. You can't be more godly and you can't be good until God does something for you that you can't do for yourself. Until God does something in your life, gives you something. What is that? Jesus. Let me just wrap this thing up with this. Here's, here's the answer to all the, yeah, but what about this, all right? It goes like this. For while we were still weak, before we cleaned up our lives, before we got off of this or broke up with so-and-so and started doing the right thing. While we were still a mess, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Godly people don't need him. There aren't any, by the way. Right? Christ died for us. Now, here's the argument. For one will scarcely die, rarely die, occasionally die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So you might find somebody that would die for you. You might die for another person uh, because you think they're, they're good and they're worth it, all right? But here's the difference with God. But God shows his love for you in this, is that while you were still a sinner, that's when Christ died for you, before you changed the thing. Now, that is good news. Now, we're going to take communion together, right? And here's, here's what, communion is Jesus' idea. See, he knew that even if you get on board with this today, even in the next five minutes, you say, God, I, I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want you to go. And the answer will be yes. But, but here's what's going to happen later today or, or, or by, by, by Tuesday at the latest, all right? You're going to have a bad day, and you're going to wake up the next day and go, well, that didn't work. Well, nothing changed. I guess that was just all emotional, whatever that is, because nothing changed in my life. And so Jesus gave us this gift of communion that says this. Every once in a while, I just take some bread and some wine or some juice. And we're going to pass that out in a minute. And you don't have to do that, but you're welcome to, all right? But take this bread and, and this wine and, and realize that, that you don't have to be good and you don't have to pay and you don't have to, to prove anything to God in order to get him to love you and, and to save you. Take this bread and take this juice and eat and, and drink. And remember, he already paid it for you. We're going to take communion together as an act of faith, not so that God will love us and not so that God will forgive us. We're going to take communion together as an act of faith that we believe he already did. And we are already saved. We forgot. He didn't. We made a mistake. He didn't. He never has. He chose you. He forgives you. We're take communion together. And I'll be honest with you, the biggest transformational thing in my life in the last year is I actually look forward to communion. For, for the first 40 years of my life, I'm telling you, communion was just like, here we go again, dredging up the same old crap over and over and over again. 
Let me tell you, in the last few months, communion means something different to me. I know God's forgiven me, but in, in a time of communion with God, I had a conversation, not with God, with myself. If God loves me and God's forgiven me, it is time to let myself off the mat. It's time to forgive myself. Maybe during this time of communion, you can do that. Accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. And from this point on, you are saved. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? If so, take communion with us. Let's pray. God, I love you. I love this story. I, I love that you stepped out of, the, out of the ordinary, out of the normal. Because what we need in our lives is something that nobody else would do for us. It's just not normal. Nobody lays down their child's life for us. Nobody gives their own life for, for us. But that's exactly what you did. And we can come up with a list of why you shouldn't have done that for someone like us. And if we were us, we wouldn't do that. And, and we could point to other people going, I don't think that they're worth dying for. Or they're worth forgiving because they haven't really changed. That's not our deal. We just look to you and say, God, here we are. We've done the best we can. It's not really good. We made some mistakes. Can we have another chance? Can we have a second life? Can we, can we be as fresh as new in this moment as a newborn baby that's just been born like all over again? Can we have that? And your answer is yes. I've been waiting for this moment. You don't even have to ask for it. I've been asking you to take my son. All you need to do right now is say, yes, I receive it into my life. I receive Jesus into my life. Jesus, if you want to change any of us in the future, that's between you and them. We'll work that out. But it starts with this moment of come into my life and forgive me. And from this point on, walk with me, change me, heal me, resurrect my collapsed building of a life and give me something more. I want something more. I want all that you want from me, God. God, we love you. We love what you started in Bethlehem and that baby grew up and died for our sins and now lives. He rose from the dead and he lives in our hearts. He's available to anybody in this room. He says, I want him. Yes. I pray that happens right now as we remember. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.